Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to John chapter 9. The story contained in this chapter also takes place during the Feast of Tabernacles, and it carries on the theme of light. When the light shines, some people are made to see, and other people are blinded by the light, to steal a phrase. Again, John is interested in how and why people are responding to Jesus. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples, like a lot of modern-day followers of Jesus, can't restrain themselves from attempting to connect the dots so as to identify specific causes for specific suffering. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Those are the only options they can think of. They see suffering and they assume sin. Now, in a general sense, they aren't wrong. There is a general relationship between sin and suffering. There is suffering in the world because of sin. If there had never been sin, there would never have been suffering. So that's true in a general sense. But that doesn't mean that we can draw straight lines from specific suffering to specific sin. The world is way too complicated for that. D.A. Carson says here, Once theologians move from generalizing statements about the origin of the human race's maladies to tight connections between the sins and the suffering of an individual, they go beyond the biblical evidence. On this point, the disciples have not progressed beyond Job's miserable comforters. Closed quote. Job's miserable comforters, Job's three friends from the Old Testament, they couldn't resist trying to connect the dots either. They looked at Job's spectacular suffering and they assumed spectacular sins. They accused him of terrible things. Job 22, 7 and 9, you've given no water to the weary to drink. You have withheld bread from the hungry. You have sent widows away empty and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. You must have done terrible things, Job, they say. That's why you are suffering. That's what they said. Can you imagine that? Can can you imagine how much that must have added to Job's already significant burden of suffering and pain? It is a dangerous and hurtful thing to attempt to make connections between particular suffering and particular sin. Now, that isn't to say that there never is such a connection. Earlier in John's gospel, we heard Jesus say to the man he had healed by the pool, see, you are well, sin no more, and nothing that nothing worse may happen to you, John 5, 14. So it may be that there is a connection between our sin and our suffering, but it is one thing to look inside yourself for such a connection and another thing to look inside someone else for that connection. If you are suffering, by all means, do some personal inventory and repent of any sin that you find. But when others around you are suffering, just weep with those who weep and keep your amateur speculations to yourself. 
When human beings try to connect the dots, we only add shame to suffering. Don't do it. But of course, in our story, the disciples do it. They see a man born blind and they ask, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. There are more than two options, Jesus says. We look at suffering and we see very narrow causality. Jesus, being God, sees a great deal more. This suffering in some way relates to purposes of God's glory. God is doing something here that has nothing directly to do with this man's sin or his parents' sin. Verse 4, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now let's just pause here and notice that Jesus assumes that things will be different after he is gone. He says that now is the time for doing these miracles because When he is gone, when the light is taken out of the world, these sorts of miracles won't happen. Now, there is a sense in which the church carries on the work of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is a sense in which the church will do greater works than Jesus, to jump ahead to John 14. We'll talk about that verse when we get there. But I think it's also important to note that Jesus says that things will be different. His being on the earth represents a unique and unrepeatable opportunity. We have to remember that when we come to John 14, 12. Verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. It is interesting to note how many of Jesus' healing miracles were conducted on the Sabbath. It's hard to avoid the conclusion that Jesus was provoking a controversy with the scribes and Pharisees over the matter. Not only did he do the healing on the Sabbath, which they forbade, but he also did it in a particularly offensive way. He made a salve out of mud. That is precisely the sort of activity that was forbidden by the rabbis. They made long lists detailing the sorts of activity that that were proscribed on the Sabbath, despite there being no such list in Scripture. And and that long list specifically mentioned the activity of kneading, as in K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G, kneading, as in kneading dough, or in this case, kneading mud and saliva into a salve. Jesus healed this man, seemingly, in the most offensive way possible. 
verse 15. So the Pharisees, the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. So Jesus is asking a question here. He's asking the question, what matters more, keeping the commandments of man or doing the work of God? He is also evaluating the hearts of these Pharisees. They are more offended by the fact that Jesus disregards their traditions than they are at the fact of human suffering. They dismiss the claims of Jesus because he dismisses their man-made traditions. If he won't bow to them, they won't bow to him. Jesus has orchestrated a pride test, and they have failed it spectacularly. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. The parents didn't want to be excommunicated from their local synagogue, so they refused to give testimony. Their son was over the age of 13, so let him testify for himself. These people were scared, and they can tell that if they side with Jesus, they will be persecuted by the Jerusalem authorities. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. Somewhere along the line, this man realized that the Pharisees were not truly interested in investigating this healing. They were actively trying to discredit Jesus, and this man chooses to stand with him. And it resulted in him being cast out. He was excommunicated from his local synagogue for identifying openly with Jesus. And he would not be the last Jewish person to go through that experience. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. 
He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. This man, of course, had never seen Jesus. He was sent by Jesus to wash, and when he opened his eyes, Jesus was gone. So Jesus comes and finds him. He he wants to bring this man to fullness of faith. Being thankful for a healing is one thing. Putting your faith savingly in Jesus is quite another. But that's what happens in this exchange. Now, whether he understood that Jesus was God in the flesh, whether he was worshiping him in that sense, or just bowing down in faith, gratitude, and respect isn't made clear. But John clearly presents this man as responding appropriately to the particular revelation that he received. Verse 39 says, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. That's an interesting phrase. For judgment I came into this world. Didn't John say in chapter 3 that Jesus didn't come into the world for judgment? That, that, That he came to save and not to condemn? Isn't this a contradiction? Well, not exactly. John 3, 17 to 19 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So, actually... That passage is saying exactly what this passage is saying. Jesus is saying here that his very presence in the world is an act of judgment. He is the light, and people react differently to the light. Some lean in and are saved, but others run and hide because their works are evil. The light comes to save, but it effectively judges those who run away. The intention of Jesus is to save, but the effect of Jesus is to save some and condemn others. The Pharisees hear this and are offended because they know what he is saying. He is saying that their failure to respond to him proves that they are children of the dark. They are blind men. And there are none so blind as those who think they see. Jesus is the light of the world. He helps us to see. And by him, we see everything else. Thanks be to God. And thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you would like to support this program, please consider leaving us a rating or a review on iTunes as it will help other people find and access these materials. If you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find our entire library of content over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes Store or on Google Play. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, just go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right-hand corner. You can also contribute through the Into the Word app. We hope to connect with you again really soon right here for another episode of Into the Word.